Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. The idea of land back is pretty straightforward. Return stolen land to indigenous people. It's an idea that's been around for generations, and thanks in large part to the work of Native people educating around this movement, we're actually starting to see examples of land being returned to Native people. These lands have never stopped being traditional territories of indigenous people. The Sinkion people and other tribes are getting more than 500 acres of land back in what is now northern Mendocino County. It's a chunk of forest along the California coastline, and it's where for thousands of years, indigenous people served as stewards of the land before being violently displaced by white settlers. Today, how these tribes got their land back. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as like the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. So this is an area um, near the coast, about 170 miles north of San Francisco. Matthew Green is a digital producer and editor for KQED. It's a really remote area. It's this kind of fog-shrouded, amazing, sort of mystical region. Towering redwood trees um, and huge fern forests. There's a stream that runs through it. It's a tributary of the South Fork Eel River. 
It supports coho salmon and steelhead trout. I can only imagine it based on what I've seen in pictures, but it just sounds pretty exquisite. It's in the heart of the traditional Sinkion tribal territory. So Hawk Rosales is the former executive director of the Intertribal Sinkion Wilderness Council, which is the group that has acquired the land. And he said there's just this really powerful quiet on the land. It's just like this peace and this sense of nature kind of reclaiming history. The place when I have visited it has really spoken to an older kind of feeling. There also is an intactness that one does not often encounter in most areas where there has been, you know, repeated timber harvest activities. And just a really amazing spot where he could feel the presence of the people who once lived there. So there is this ongoing connection and this relationship that has, despite all of the damage and and harm that uh, Indigenous people in this region and elsewhere have sustained. I have to imagine that the way that the tribes lost this land is a pretty familiar story. Can you tell me a little bit about that story? The Sinkion people were living in this area. They lived a little bit farther inland for most of the year, but they would come to this area to establish seasonal settlements and do a lot of their hunting and fishing and ceremonial activities um, in warmer months. And they were relatively untouched by white people until really until the mid-1850s when large numbers of white settlers came into the area kind of following the gold rush. Mm and they were drawn by the timber. There was just an incredibly rich abundance of timber resources, and they came for the redwoods and for the Douglas firs, and they basically wreaked havoc. It was individual settlers at first, and then it was a more orchestrated effort. They have um, large timber companies that basically laid claim to the land, and that's when, you know, the, the most devastation happened. There were state-sponsored massacres. Um, the population was decimated through disease, and there were forced relocations to reservations where all these different tribes from different nations were cramped together in these poor pieces of land far from where they're supposed to be. As you just mentioned, this land, this is land that was stolen and is now being given back to the tribes that once inhabited it. How did that happen exactly? So the land is on a larger piece of property uh, known as Andersonia West, and it was owned by a family uh, for decades. A group called the Save the Redwoods League, which is based in San Francisco, bought the land in 2020, two years ago. Um, and interestingly, they paid for it through money from PG&E's Environmental Mitigation Program. Hmm. Um, it cost $3.55 million, is what I was told. And they held on to it for a couple of years and tried to find a caretaker for the property. They started working with the Intertribal Sinkion Wilderness Council, which um, is a group that represents 10 tribes in the area, mostly in Mendocino County. And their whole deal is to try to acquire, try to reclaim and protect ancestral lands in the area. 
So a couple months ago, the league officially handed back the land to this tribal council. Are there any like terms to these donations, like uh, or this agreement? So Save the Redlands League is not laying any more uh, any further claim to it. It is under the ownership of the Sinkyoon Council, but there's a conservation easement that they agreed to. What's that? That basically means it's a legally binding agreement to say we're not going to develop the land. Hmm. Um, it's a little bit unclear, like the specifics of it. Um, you know, every conservation easement is different, but it is legally binding, and it basically means that the land is going to be protected in its natural state. I want to talk a little bit more about what it means to have this land return to the tribes. What are people saying about what it means that this is happening? And it's a gift, a real blessing to our tribes here. Priscilla Hunter is the chairwoman of the Sinkyoon Council and a tribal citizen of the Coyote Valley Band of Pomo Indians. She was glowing when I talked to her. We have a, a lot of happy Indians up this way. And to actually have um, a story like this where the land is given back is, you know, for her, it's, she has to kind of make sure she's not dreaming because this is something that doesn't happen that often. It's not often that you get land donated back to the Indians. You know, they're always taking it. You know, this is where her ancestors lived and this is where they they spent time and she feels this communion with them knowing that this land is back in in their hands i believe that um their spirits and our spirits are connected together today in a happy time a very very happy time i mean so what does this ultimately mean for this land like what's going to happen to it you know, one thing to, to note is that the land is, is never going to be open to the public. That's, that's part of the mm-hmm. deal. It's going to be um, open to the tribes, but not the public. But how open it is going to be is still to be determined. It, it just is very remote, and it's, and it's always going to take a long time to get to. So Hawk really was of the mind that this should be pretty untouched, that this should be something that the tribes own, but kind of appreciate from afar. The idea is really to to protect it and what it represents, rather than making this some sort of destination. He said that there's a much larger parcel of land that the tribe owns uh, to the south that's more accessible and some, a place that they can visit more easily for you know, tribal ceremonies and, and recreation, that this place should really be kind of hands-off. Not that there won't be tribal interaction on that land, because there will be. It just has to be more carefully planned over time. When I asked Priscilla the same question, she immediately disagreed and said, everybody I'm talking to wants to see it. We'd love to see it. People already are asking me when our members and Indian people I know that loves the nature, you know, can hardly wait to get up there and feel, feel the energy. This is their land and they want to see what it looks like. And even though it's hours from the nearest large road, people want to go there. I know we're talking about Mendocino County, but I wanted to talk with you about this story because I feel like this idea of land back is something that a lot of people in the Bay Area care about or are interested in. And I'm wondering about how you're thinking about this story in the context of the Bay Area specifically. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because land back in the Bay Area is tricky because there's a lot of 
progressive communities. You know, I think the idea of um, land acknowledgements has, has really caught on. A lot of us are much more aware, I think, than we used to be or are trying to be more aware that um, the land we're on used to belong to other people and it was stolen from them. But the Bay Area is a crowded place with really expensive real estate. And, you know, there's not a lot of examples of people giving up their land. There's little, you know, there's little stories here and there of tribes trying to reclaim very small plots in the Bay Area, but they're pretty few and far between. There's uh, ideas of land taxes that people can voluntarily pay to tribes. Um, But that said, there are, you know, with the land back movement, there have been these pretty inspiring stories in the last bunch of years. A tribe in uh, the Big Sur area, the Esalen tribe, reclaimed like 1,200 acres from another land conservancy two years ago. And now that's just theirs in this amazingly beautiful spot there. Why do you think this is happening now? Yeah, it's a good question. I think the uh, MO for a lot of environmental groups until recently has been land preservation. This idea that this place was untouched, nobody was ever here and we need to keep it in that natural state without any recognition that there was a community that actually lived there for millennia and were incredible stewards of the land. And I think a lot of groups are now making a bit of a shift, and you see this with Save the Redlands League, acknowledging that um, land preservation doesn't just mean um, keeping a forest completely clean without anybody on it, but also recognizing the people who live there. Matthew, thank you so much. Thank you. The Save the Redwoods League officially handed the land back to the Intertribal Sinkion Wilderness Council in December of last year. The land is now called Se'eleden, or Fish Run Place. Thanks to Matthew Green, a digital producer and editor for KQED. We'll leave you a link to Matthew's story where you can see the incredible photos of Se'eleden embedded in his story. This episode of The Bay was produced and cut by me, Erica Cruz Guevara, and my editor, Alan Montesilio, who made this episode sound pretty by scoring it and adding the tape. KQD's podcast senior leadership team includes Jessica Blachek, Kiana Mogadam, Vinnie Tong, Ethan Tovin Lindsay, and Holly Kernan. You can connect with me and Alan on Twitter. We're at The Bay KQED. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara. Peace out, y'all. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading!
Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.